Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode eight. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and you're listening to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu Jitsu. Live Jiu Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, helping them to stay away from drugs and crime and to inspire them to pursue their goals and dreams. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, geese, and tournament registrations. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Now let me introduce you to today's guest, George Brittle. George is a third-degree black belt under Saulo Ribeiro and Vinayeta, as well the co-founder of Jiu-Jitsu for Life team. George is the CEO and founder of Next Gen BJJ, a Canadian BJJ association that hosts tournaments in four provinces in Canada. He's also the vice president of the Canadian Jiu-Jitsu Association and is the head instructor of the largest BJJ school in Canada, Toronto BJJ, which has over 600 members all training in one location. George began his Jiu-Jitsu journey at the age of 13 when he began training with Fernando Silva, a Carson Gracie black belt. He received his blue belt while training with Silva, but by the age of 16, transitioned to training at Gracie Tijuca in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, under the guidance of Vinayeta and Saulo Ribeiro. In 1997, George received an advice from the legendary Megaton Diaz, who told him, you love jiu-jitsu, you want to make a living from it, learn two things, English and how to teach a class. The future is abroad. Armed with that advice, George began learning English and eventually earned his bachelor's degree in physical education. While pursuing his dream, George continued to compete in jiu-jitsu and MMA. In 2008, through his connection with Saul Ribeiro, he began teaching at his new home of Toronto. George, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Thank you very much, Gustavo. And uh, hi, everybody. I'm really, really pumped to be here sharing a little bit of my life, my experience. And I hope I can, you know, contribute to everybody's success. Awesome. So I mentioned that you start training at the age 13. Well, how did it show up in your life? And how was the process of start training? Yes, it was funny. I first, uh, I was like a, a regular Brazilian kid, you know, I came from a neighborhood called Tijuca. So everybody there just want to play soccer. So when my father passed, so my mom, like, uh, I was a very active kid, like super energetic, moving all over the place. So we live in a, a small space, an apartment. So she enrolled me, me and my brother in soccer. My brother quit right away, but I kept going and I tried my very best to become a soccer player. That was kind of like the dream of everybody there in the hood. And uh, I spent most of my time in the street playing soccer, going to the school as much as was necessary. <laughs> my mom, like, uh, going, go at school. And then my friends in, uh, like, uh, jiu-jitsu started to become very popular. And uh, 
very very well known in Rio. Like uh, we went we went to see one day in a TV that uh, in 1991, if I'm not wrong, the Jiu-Jitsu against Luta Livre Challenge was on the TV, and and everybody started to like to pretend was Jiu-Jitsu fighters to the point that some of my friends just start actually to do Jiu-Jitsu, and they were like my my closest friends because about six guys, and I was the only one not going. So in the first month, they, they were training, and I'm like, hey, why are you guys doing this thing? Because I was a little intimidated with martial arts. As a, as a, I was a very insecure kid, you know? Like, I would have fight for any reason just to prove myself, but more because I was uh, insecure and afraid than because I was uh, courageous or anything. Gotcha. It's just like, I would have seen people, like, walking around, I would have been so scared, uh-huh. or end up, like, fighting, you know? Mm-hmm. I tried one time to go for a, a Kung Fu Academy and I saw the guys doing like crazy kicks and black geese. I, I felt really intimidated and I kind of like uh, gave up the idea. So then I tried Taekwondo too one day just to watch, you know, because mm-hmm. I saw my friends doing Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, I'm not going to join them because they're going to beat me up. I'm going to do something else. And then they don't, don't beat me up right away. But then... I quit like the the idea of uh, Taekwondo too because I saw the guys need too much skills and I was not a very coordinated kid. And then one day I came to visit, and then the, uh, at this day, like uh, my my first professor Fernando Silva, uh, his nickname is Nutri Baby. Mm-hmm. He was there teaching the guys, and there was another teacher that he was actually painting the wall. His name is Flag Figueiredo. He he's already passed. At that time, he was like a black belt, six degree, very old guy. He actually gave a black belt for Hanetti Quadros. Mm. So very good teacher, and he was kind of partnered up on that academy. So then he 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 look he look at me. And he's like, "You're watching your friends. You come to check it out." I'm like, "Yeah." Like, why don't you try? I'm like, "Oh no, I don't know." And it's like, "No, come here." He brought me in. And I wasn't even wearing a gi, and he started to show me heapscapes, some of the drills that I'm still doing today for my first intro classes. That's cool. And, uh, and then I felt hooked, and then right away he showed me some, like, a mountscape and stuff like that, and then he's like, jump in now. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, go in. And then I was introduced to Nutri, and then they put me in the class, so I started, like, to do, like, some of the, the drills they were doing, and then they went to spar. You know, back then, it was, like, it was like 1993, something like that, like, uh, we didn't have, like, all the structure of teaching that we have to do, right? So yeah. the class was, like, jump in, and if you survive, you join. And then uh, one blue belt to roll with me and kind of, like, was nice. But then right after, like, they matched me up with one of my friends. My God, it was, like, huge. <laughs> I was, like, can't lose that. But I ended up choking him and some, like, uh, you know, he didn't know much about him, too. And so... I felt, wow, this is for me. I'm so good. And it, I felt empowered. And then, like, from there, and I started, like, they quit. They all quit. There's not even one friend from that generation that kept. And then I'm here to today. So that's why I started. So that that's was pretty awesome. fun. And we actually have similar stories, too, because I, I grew up in Vila Isabel and trained most of my time in Brazil, in Tijuca. Also, you know, end up going to physical education as well. You know what I mean? Looking... Uh, doing my making my living of jujitsu out of Brazil, you know, so pretty cool, very similar, similar facts. So, how do you feel that BJJ relate to life? For me, jujitsu is life. You know, I can't divide that anymore. I, I know that for some people, it still have some sort of like a, you know division because, mm-hmm. like, uh, until like some point, I guess if you don't have like a good orientation of a teacher. 
you can see like how jiu-jitsu can like a literally um, move your life you know so like the mindset that you can build because uh what we do in jiu-jitsu is basically we make decisions mm -hmm. under pressure because even if those uh decisions won't directly affect your life because you know training like you tap or the guy swapped you or whatever happens you lose a competition it doesn't really direct change your life like especially if you if you're like a recreational uh, uh practitioner right because you go you you have your work have a job so then you like you just get a little upset but like the moment you're doing it it's a real feeling it's a real uh, emotion that you have to deal with and then you don't know but you are training how to control those emotions uh, under pressure is, is a mindset training. And then uh, when you guide it through, like to start to see how you can utilize that beyond the mats. Mm -hmm. And then, man, you start, you start to find like a huge, huge resource of life, which is emotional control. Mm -hmm. It's the number one resource of life. Because if you don't have emotional control, my friend, like sometimes a little event that will happen in your life will destroy you, will stagnate you. But when you have that emotional control, you can reverse things and start like to see the perspective. And uh, that's for me what I, what I found in Jiu-Jitsu that really, really changed. And then that's my mission today. So that's one of the reasons that uh, when I leave like a Hibero Jiu-Jitsu Association to found like my own association, I choose the name Jiu-Jitsu for life, but not Jiu-Jitsu forever but jiu-jitsu for life, for life application. And that's the mm -hmm. philosophy of the association. It's uh, used like a, this mindset training to you prepare yourself for the events of life. That's awesome. And when I mentioned in the intro that uh, I think you had an encounter with Megaton in 1997, he mentioned about, hey, you should start learning English. Do you feel that that was the moment that it had a spark on unnecessarily for, to pursue yes. jiu-jitsu before? You already made this decision or was already going through your mind. How was this? When was this, uh, this part? Yeah, that world, that world championship was like, was the moment, you know? So I'm there, you know, we, we had like a huge camp at Grace Tijuca. Grace Tijuca for the ones who don't know. For you huge guys math, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have that space anymore. It oh, used yeah. to be club called Monte Sinai mm -hmm. and, uh, we are like uh, at the time the biggest affiliation of Grace Sumaita and uh, most of the competition team will go to that place to train mm -hmm. so we have like a, the, the world championship camp there that was like second world championships if I'm not wrong and then a lot of the gringos you know I came to train and my mom at that time she working in a laundry and then like uh, the, the laundry was giving me a quote unquote and that's a sponsorship that I could like go there in off hours and wash as many geese as I want. And then that little token that whatever I charge would be for me, but I have to buy a soap and some sort of deal like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in the same neighborhood in a, in a, mi a military school that there's close to the, that place. And then I have like a, a bike. So I would do like a several, uh, of back and forth trips to take the, the geese mm -hmm. and I will offer that to everybody in the academy but during the whole year like just you know like uh, Saul Hoyler some of the, the high class students will like watch a game with me but at the world championships because like the North American living we, we used to like here like watch geese a lot more than in Brazil right mm -hmm. so like guys hang there hang dry kind of stuff 
and uh, I started to like watch a lot of geese that 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 season, that uh, competition time that came. And uh, Megaton saw that, and he was one of my clients, and he was always spoiling me with like some like a protein bars and uh, this kind of stuff, and I was very happy to see. And you see all like uh, the, the nice geese that guys were wearing, the mm-hmm. shoes. And then one day, uh, Megaton sit down beside me and said, like, I really like to hustle, man, because I was there. And I, I wasn't even allowed to make that training because I wasn't uh, back then. You have to like to be a real estate champion or Brazilian national champion mm-hmm. or a former world champion to compete in the worlds. Mm-hmm. And I was juvenile. So I was there just watching and like cleaning the academy at that time already. And then he said, like, you like to hustle, but like, man. You like jiu-jitsu? I'm like, yes, I love jiu-jitsu. But like, if you wanted to make jiu-jitsu for the rest of your life and make a living out of jiu-jitsu, it's going to be very hard here. Like, learn how to teach and learn how to speak English because, you know, outside you're going to have much better opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that was in my mind. But then after that, the, in the weekend that we had the, 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 the whole event, it was pretty awesome to see everybody competing. And, and then I work at the event, too, as a scorekeeper. Mm-hmm. So... I was just sold. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I came back home saying, mom, I'm not. Because that moment I was finishing like this, uh, our second degree. I don't know how you guys call here. Like uh, maybe it's high school or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so like uh, about to go to university, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I, I had like no idea how, what kind of university I would do. First, because in Brazil, you know, like the, to you get to a public one is very hard. Mm-hmm. And to, to pay one is even harder. So for me, it was kind of like an out of option. It would be like getting a regular job kind of thing. But then I decided to like to, to dedicate my, my life full-time to jiu-jitsu. So then my mom got like, you're crazy. Go find a real job. I'm like, no, mom, this is going to be a real job. I'm going to work. And one day I'm going to live in California. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to make my living out of jiu-jitsu. That's kind of like the spark that really inspired me and that really took me to the point that's like, I'm going to dedicate like a, my full life, every single thing I do to become a better instructor, to learn how to speak English and to one day live in California at that point. That was my kind of dream. And, uh, and then to do jiu-jitsu. That was the idea. Yeah. And it's, uh, of course, you have a lot of people who listen. I think we'll have our average listener of the master competitors, but we do have some younger people too. And a lot of them go, th- go through that transition that I did, you did, of you getting done with high school, the pressure of the family at home, what are you going to do? So how did you deal with this? Let's say it's a kind of a pressure, you know, to, you have to make a decision and you don't know if people really on your team, do you think, I mean, if they really believe that I can accomplish this? So how was mentally for you to, even though your mom had the doubt of you pursuing jujitsu, how was mentally dealing with that transition? First thing I learned, as soon as you decide something in your life, obstacles will show up right away. And sometimes uh, it will come from people that love you most. Because mm-hmm. like my mom is like, uh, I can't deny that she is the human that loves me more in this world. And she right away said, don't, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, she has that idea of protection that would have failed, that would have been so hard. But like, that was my dream. And then I could have seen my life doing something else. It's like, and, and uh, maybe I just followed that instinct because I didn't have anybody to teach me, to tell me like, uh, okay, this is how you do, you do what you love and then you're going to be successful. I had no guarantee mm-hmm. and I didn't even know what would have happened. 
and uh, the pressure came in, but I was so happy to be pursuing for something that I love it. I was uh, feeling so much fulfillment just with the idea that I was going through that, that I was trying to get it, and that uh, that really like uh, keep the flame in my heart. Mm -hmm. And I still have the same flame today. It's crazy. It's uh, the hunger and the and the, the desire to conquer and to achieve the dream. It's uh, it, it's never ending. It's like I feel like if you keep yourself in the middle of your dream, or, or and then what what is your dream? It's like something that you love to do that you see yourself doing like until the rest of your life. You you're always gonna have like a feel to go for. You know will, that will be the feel that will make you pass through all the, the hardships that you face because it's kind of naive to think that everything is going to be a smooth ride. It's going to be hard. And I think that uh, I was lucky to, luckily or blast, I don't know what to say, but I choose jiu-jitsu. And jiu-jitsu on the side, that's what, I, that's what I was telling you, already show you that. It's not going to be easy. There's no tournament that you win like, oh, that was an easy tournament. Mm -hmm. no, it's never easy even if it looked like uh, the guy went there submit the guy three matches but like the whole training to the point it was hard maybe you had an injury maybe you couldn't pay the registration fee but like see how you can apply that to life mm -hmm. you know that's what I'm trying like, to open to people to, to you know like uh, those emotions will be there and then you can like utilize the training and the competition just to like prepare yourself to face bigger challenges if like uh, the challenges are not related with Jiu Jitsu yeah and it's interesting, the same way that happened with me coming up from that, that transition 18, 19, I believe you've seen it, and a lot of people, maybe my listening went through the same, that you saw a lot of people that maybe set some goals, you know, even let's say, let's talk about specific jujitsu. I want to do jujitsu for a living. And like you said, you know, even when you start training, some of your friends just stop training, but not necessarily that you want to continue. But I know for a fact that, you know, a lot of your, your former uh, teammates that wanted to pursue jiu-jitsu and you know how it is the the results are not showing or maybe some they looking at some type of failure as determined factor to okay this is not for me and you're able to keep going and i feel that this is for any entrepreneur anyone that is in jiu-jitsu right now what do you have to say with some people who have faced some failures before and let that that actually shake him and be, ah, you know what this is not for me what do you have to say is that jujitsu practitioners who maybe stop training they love jujitsu they're listening right now but they're not back they're not training anymore you know maybe because they felt that they felt like a failure or maybe a business they they attempt and they're like yeah no i'm gonna stop so i would like to expand more on the idea of this dealing with the failure and of course the same you already mentioned how jiu-jitsu really helped you with this but what do you have to say to the listeners uh, first thing that you have to like to put in your mind is like first is i like, care less about what people think about you you know like uh uh i think i, I remember recalling like to listen even one of your uh, of your episodes the bjj mental was like what am i teammates gonna think about me because I lost uh, what my girlfriend what my my neighborhood what my mom's like you should like uh, take zero uh, weight on on their their opinions I think that you start with that you know you have to f like to try to ask like how you feel about it you know and then embrace the pain because the pain is important because the pain will be like the red light to say like, don't go this route again because you're being lazy, for example. You know, let's take two 
jujitsu as an example again. It's like uh, if you go for a tournament and then you fail, okay, you lost because you should have more attitude in the match, okay? Sometimes, like a lot of times, we fail in that. And then you feel that, but then when you're going to compete again, you're still like uh, expecting the things to go in the way you want instead, take the attitude to go towards that. So you, you should like start to remember that and use that pain to say, no, no, I don't want to feel that again. I'm going all in. And uh, like all those failures that, uh, that we face, they're like the, they're our best teachers. So like I, I, I had to like to shift my mind and learn how to utilize that because I, I am a slow learner. I think another thing that Jiu-Jitsu gave to me and the gift to a lot of people is that self-awareness, right? You right away, you feel like what you're good and what you're bad. I am a very slow learner, but I don't say that now with any sort of like, oh, poor me, I'm a slow learner. No, I know I'm a slow learner, so I take my time. I, I build more resilience. I build more patience because I know it will take more time for me to learn something. But I will get it. I won't quit. I will still learning slow, but I will learn. Some people learn fast, but they train less. I, I'm like, each one will find like their strengths and their weaknesses. And then when it's game time, of course, you want to highlight your, your strengths and then you want to hide your weaknesses to afterwards you work. But how can you take the failures like and make the failures become like a, something for you, not against you? It's like, it's about your mindset. It's all about your mindset. It's like you try to, to see like a, every, it's like you make, you make him a, a roadmap and then you like, you don't know yet the, 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 the path. So you take, oh, this one here is, I will find a rock. Okay, so mark that down, rock. So let me try the other one. And you go by elimination. And, uh, and then uh, at, at some point you will find a clear path that will take you to whatever you want. Yeah. The, 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 the secret is build patience because uh, it, it, nothing will happen right away. I, one thing that I like to do, and then I hear that a lot, the, the, the funny thing is that as we grow and we start to like to research more, we start to see like how incredible jiu-jitsu is because uh, we're being taught all these entrepreneurial ideas mm-hmm. just by training jiu-jitsu. You know, like you, you have to like to, to be patient. You have to like to set long-term like a commitments and deals. Like your your, your long-term like a, a goals are much more reliable than short-term goals. Oh, let me find a position here that I can win the next tournament. It won't work in the next one. Maybe it worked for one tournament, for one match, because you just now relying yourself in one limited action. But when you have like the full spectrum, you can like. A, divide your actions you can like uh, even like uh, set yourself back after a failure and take another path you know so all those things are available but if you start to fear like uh, the, the end result of one uh, enterprise you will take yourself the opportunity of learning so mm-hmm. that's why like uh, how you become a good teacher for example like for me it was about i i consider myself a, a good teacher because I put myself in every single situation you can imagine. So I tell my students a lot, look, I, maybe I won't tell you exactly what to do, but I can certainly tell you what to not do mm-hmm. because I try. And that will help you out. You understand. So, and then, and then ask actually helped me a lot in my life because now I have so much of my road 
already all marked down that I can like keep moving forward and I slowly achieving results, learning from failures, achieving results, learning from failures and just moving on. That's awesome. And one of the things that you mentioned right at the beginning that is super crucial for the listeners to pay attention on the mention about the fear that people have to, you know, what others going to think, what others going to say, you know, and this holds so many people back. And I tell you, I, I'm always honest, you know, at moments in my life, it did hold me back in some situations too. And as you, you get older and start to, like, like I said, have some more emotional maturity, start to understand, you start to reevaluate that. So I'm going to share a phrase of one of my favorite motivational speakers, Les Brown. If you never heard of him, take a look, go on, on YouTube. There's plenty of videos for, for the listeners. If you want to find out, Google, just take a look. But his phrase is, someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. So let me just say one more time so people can reflect. Someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. It can become your reality if you let to do so. And yes, if you allow that, it will become your reality. And that's when that uh, emotional maturity come in to really question those thoughts. Why am, what, what exactly is holding me back? Why I'm so scared of disappointing others. That's something that's each one's journey to really go through and, and figure it out. But just keep this phrase in mind, someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. Now, what I'd like to know is what is your toughest or worst entrepreneurial experience and what you learned from it? I would assume, not necessarily, that the transition living Brazil to Canada, it's always anytime you, you live, if you live in a state, it's already a big change. When you move into a, a different country and language, that's a completely different ball game. So what do you think that in this journey has been the toughest entrepreneurial experience and what did you learn from it? Well, uh, definitely like uh, go to other country and uh, start to understand the culture it's 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 a hardship and uh but somehow i had like uh i didn't i didn't like struggle too much to adapt in canada because like i came to toronto toronto is a very multicultural city so like uh, most of people here are immigrants so and then i, I was i was pretty prepared like i, I learned english I, I i didn't have like a much problems so of course like my English skills there got much better from like 10 years ago there's exactly 10 years that I came here and um, the system of teaching everything like all the support that I had was amazing it was hard in the beginning to you know let it go friends but I, I was so focused that I couldn't feel that much but for me it was harder was like to get myself into the community mm -hmm. the jiu-jitsu community the jiu-jitsu community here was the biggest challenge it's still in some level a challenge now, but not as much as it used to be. But when you come, when you are outsider, and then as soon as I got here, uh, I was always involved in a jiu-jitsu or tournaments organization, and then right away, why? Because like uh, at first, just to you guys, just to you guys out there, listen, understand where I come from. I believe like uh, you have to promote your business, okay. So if I wanted to have a successful Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes, I need to do everything, all my possibilities under my, 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 my reach to promote Jiu-Jitsu. So competition is a big one because it's a way that we put people together. So when you have an tournament, 
that is not attractive for even for the competitors that make people feel excluded just this is just for the good guys and you just not promoting the sport in the proper way because like uh, you're never going to invite a friend to come over to watch a tournament you go in a tournament and then i remember coming here they were like a way back in the day like they would ask everybody to come at the place at 7 a.m mm. then they weigh in everyone and then they do brackets so you just imagine that how long would it take for you yeah. even like a be on deck to compete so when i saw that i said like man i can contribute a lot with that because i've been working with IBJJF and uh fjj rio and i was already doing my tournament in brazil like an annual tournament in tijuca copa tijuca with a big friend of mine bernardo track with you guys one day go to australia he has like a two hebrew schools there great guy so uh i i felt like hey guys i started to get involved and try like to hey can i organize one tournament here because it was one of my goals, you know, to organize tournaments and to be able to help Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, they kind of like, yeah, okay. But then the first tournament, I really made like a huge difference. It was something that it was never seen here before that I took out away from, you know, because I learned everything from IBJJF. I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just mm -hmm. came here and executed what was being done in, in a way a smaller scale. And... Uh, they're starting to feel a lot of the, you know, like, hey, wait a second. You can't come here and just take our business, you know? Mm -hmm. Of course, everybody wants to protect their business. I do not agree with the way they deal with me because I don't think, like, when you, when you block somebody to do business, that makes you any better. But what happened was, like, I got boycotted. I got, like, a tournament being held on the same day. And, uh, and there was a huge loss for me because I have like to make up the mind of one of my biggest partners, which is like Joshua Port. He's the owner of Toronto BJJ. And uh, at that point, we had like a less than a year relationship and I had to like to sell the idea to him to invest in the tournament and uh, like buy mats because we never had a tournament here with like a, like a tatami mat. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you, know you, you, you organize tournaments, you know how much it takes to pull like a decent event. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was hard. So after uh, to keep him like uh, an investor on the game, it, it was very hard. So that was uh, my worst. And then I, I just learned a lot from it. Sometimes it's like, uh, it doesn't matter how much you good. It's not about the ideal, you know, like, oh, the ideal way would be everybody support me and then we all will grow together, you know, but it doesn't happen like that. It's not always rainbows and unicorns and you need sometimes mm -hmm. to be aggressive. And sometimes you need to step back. Yeah. And I learned that because I kept going and it was like a really loss, a real loss. Like we lost a lot of money. We, I, I got a lot of stress. So then I stepped back afterwards, like two years later, I stepped back. I, I didn't organize any event here. Only like the annual tournament that we do for our own association academy here. But then eventually I was able to start to like reconnect with the community leaders and you know, and now we are kind of like a working together. Like the the things start to merge before we we start to work. And that which is my main goal since the beginning is to have everybody working in the same page and building a strong like a Canadian Jews community. But it's still hard. But mm -hmm. now I know how to do a little better. Like uh, I went, uh, I was supposed to run an event in. Uh, in, in, in one city here and then like people start to boycott so I cancel the event. Mm -hmm. I know it's not good but I don't want to go out there and make them feel that I want to face and fight them. I want them to understand that I want to work with them that mm -hmm. I want them involved in any event. So 
this is the things that we learn and uh you know i'm pretty sure everybody listen sometimes will get in some sort of thing especially if you work, work in any sort of business competitors will always try like to find a way to slow you down because not every time you're gonna find like uh, the best scenarios right so we need to be prepared for that too and i've learned that absolutely and this what you told me, I, I relate so much with the story too. I've been, for people who don't know, I've been promoting tournaments for exactly now 20 years. I started my first one in 1998 in Brazil and in Arizona when I moved here, October 2000 and then 2001, I started promoting. But my feeling was very similar to yours. And we did talk about this on episode five. If you haven't listened, it's uh, the interview with P, uh, Pete Roberts from Origin USA. And the title is Let Your Irritations Inspire You. The same way that it did for me that I was annoyed how the tournament, how bad the tournaments were. I'm like, dude, this is not right. This is not respectful for the competitors, to the spectators, to teachers. You know, I'm going to do something about it. And you basically did the same way. You're there, tournaments at 7.30 a.m. Everyone shows up. You never know when you're going to go. And be like, dude, this is not right. You know, and then you let that irritation, that thing was annoying. You, you did something about it. And that's the same message that I left on episode five. I'd like to, if people didn't listen, to think about this, that to let your irritations inspire you. Because sometimes people, oh, man, I don't like this. Oh, that thing sucks. So do something about it. If you really feel inside of you that you can provide something better from your heart with full of good intentions, dude, go for it. At the beginning, Man, it's the same way here in Arizona when I start promoting, it was like, wow, those Brazilians come in here and, you know, they try to do it like, dude, don't come. You know, that's okay. You know, all I'm trying to do is provide something better. And yeah, it took a long time for people to start accepting and see like, man, this is a, this is a good work. We really providing good service. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. It's never going to be perfect. But I guarantee that you're always looking for ways to improve. You know, I know that you're, you're probably after a tournament, your head is spinning. I was like, ah, oh, man, that really bothered me. I want to do this better. I want to do that better. And for all the listeners, if you have your, you already have your business, just think about that. What can you do better? Let your irritations literally inspire you. Now, what do you feel that is a one high performance habit that you have? Something that you do every day that end up helping you in jujitsu in life? Planning. Planning. If you guys not planning out there, my friend, like you're going to lose. You got to plan. And sometimes like uh, people get really, oh, I have to make the perfect plans. Like sometimes it's very simple. And sometimes for me, it's I try to work as simple as possible to don't get to like, especially to don't lose time planning. A lot of people lose too much time planning, creating that perfect plan but i basically i have my macro plan and i have micro plans you know micro plan is a day first thing i do is like i try to get like a, uh you know six to seven things that i can do in my life in that day that i have to you know some stuff they're critical that i really have to make it and by the way i i got this technique from uh this guy called Andy Fricella, he, he runs a, a podcast called the MFCEO. It's great. If you can hear, it will increase a lot in your life. He's a very good guy. But I was always doing this, but in a different way. But of course, I got more technical with that. And uh, you, you do like, uh, what are you going to do today? You know, try like uh, 
to make like a, this day the best possible day ever. It sounds like crazy, but I've been talking this to my students like forever. It's like if you try every day to make the day really great, it's like a, you will, will achieve like by the end of the week a great week. Even if that day is not the best day of your life, but it, just the effort and the attempt to try to make the best day of your life, you are ready. But you just wish it's not enough. You need to like to write down what you're going to do. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to read. And then I'm going to have my breakfast. I'm going to take my supplements. It has to be from uh, personal things to like bigger things. Oh, so I'm going to answer all the emails. And then I'm going to pay this bill. And I'm going to, uh, you know, things that you have to do in a day. Like I finish the program, connect with this guy, connect with this. Uh, and then you know what you have to do. And you're like, okay, that day I win it. So then you just have like a small victories by day to day to day to day. You know, guys that are training. If you guys out there, you guys want to increase your performance in training. I tell this, plan your training. You can't just go every day and just whatever. You know, especially guys that are like, I wanted to be professionals. They wanted to like to achieve better performance. You guys should plan things such as like, okay, I'm going to drill this technique like a five times a week or three times a week. I'm going to drill this another one. Then I'm going to have this much of sparring. And then I'm going to do my physical training. And then you write this down and you just check mark at the end of the day just to like at the end of the, 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 the week, at the end of the month, you see like a huge. But how are you going to just be doing like everyday crazy things? No, you need to set up a year plan. Every month I know exactly what I'm going to do. Of course, I make the changes that sometimes are necessary, but I try like to plan my whole year schedule of every weekend, what seminars I'm going to teach, when I'm going to teach, what tournaments that my team is going to. That increases like your performance because you can make a, a, a more intentional preparation. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know exactly what you're going to face, so then you decrease the chances of failure. You are still going to fail. Things are still going to change, but you're going to be ready ready to face it and then you're going to be ready to learn from because mm -hmm. like for example last year i put as my year schedule to compete world championships as an adult by the way i got really inspired by you when you make mm -hmm. that run for the, the world championships it was a point that it was kind of like losing a little motivation to compete in the adults and i'm like oh man thank you so thank mm -hmm. you well, that was great and I compete in that, and I have that. So I have like every day, like some hours of training that I have to like to complete. And sometimes I would go all over the place, but like the, the hours of training were not there. I'm like, no, boom. And I completed. Nice. I try to be there in the best shape of my life. I could have got the results I want. Yes. But again, I compete against some of the best guys in the world. And then I came back and my standard, others. Yes. Now, you know, I got destroyed by Andrea Galvão. So I got here, like everybody that are training is like, okay, I can handle that. You, you understand, it's, a, it's like preparation, planning, it makes a, a huge difference. So you guys should start this now if you don't. Yeah, and the fact that you mentioned about the small victories, the daily victories, man, this is huge. I think all the listeners do not underestimate that. If you already do that, good for you, keep, keep it up. There's one book called The Slight Edge, Great book. Can't remember the name of the author right now, but I read his great book. And he talks about the compound effect, how those like small wins every day, they will compound and they will show up the result in a, in a long run. A good example that they, they say they talk about what is easy to do is also easy not to do. You know, you can make your plan, you know, or think about it and like, ah, I can't do it. No problem. I don't do it today. I do one day. I don't do another day. 
if you do you know here and there but like when you do every day those small wins they will reflect in your life for example for people who maybe don't have a the habit of reading that's one example of the compound effect that if you read 10 pages of a book per day at the end of the year it's 3650 pages which it's basically about 15 to 20 books if you think about it how man if people don't have the habit of maybe reading or audiobook or getting more information 15 books i mean would positive content, growth content, man, that makes a huge impact in your life. 15 books in one year, you know, yeah. so just keep that concept in mind of the small victories and that compound effect of every day doing a little bit, you know, the same thing you preparing for the tournament every day you do a little bit. And then when you get to the day of the competition, doesn't mean that you're going to win, but you know, it's just increasing the odds of, you know, achieving the outcome that you want or performing to the best of your ability. So it's a great tip. Now, what is the best advice you ever received? You think you'd say that one that Megaton gave you, or you have uh, something yeah, else that still carries with you? Uh, that uh, Megaton advice was one of the best. I was very fortunate to have like a lot of great people around me, and he was one of them. But I have like a uh, you know great teachers like Sal. He be able to have like a huge. Uh, gratitude for everything he did for me, the opportunity to be here. You know, if today I don't work for the association, I still have in my heart and I wish like the very best for Hibiru Jiu Jitsu. Uh, you know, I have like a Vini Ayeta that was pretty much like a father for me because I never had like a father basically. And he was kind of like the guy that kind of like uh, show a little bit of fatherhood to me, just being around and being a good teacher. But like the best advice maybe. It came from my mom. Mm. She always, she always told me like, uh, just do whatever you love. Mm -hmm. Even it was like so hard for her to accept what I wanted when I told her that's what I love. And then I remember like from many arguments that we had at one point, it's like, okay, once you're gonna do it, do it with every single way you can. Just do the best possible way you could, because at the end of the day, you have no big backup, you know. So you, you, I won't be here like to help you financially. I won't be here like to help you physically. I can just give you like my love and support. But like, if you love something and you want to do it, do it for, like the best of your ability. Give your very best for it. And I always carry that in my heart, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, everything that comes to my hands, like for example, today I, I prepare myself. I wrote my notes. I want to like to really like uh, come here and deliver a good content for your for your audience. I want to like you to be happy and uh, and everybody that's listening to take something out of this. I was like, man. I wish this was be like my very best mm -hmm. ever, you know, and I carry this for me for everything I do, you know, because if I don't want to do it, I just literally don't do it. I just mm -hmm. say no, you know, because I know it's going to be bad. And then I respect too much other people to give to people like things that, and it's funny because sometimes life will put us in the spot as like, you have to do something that you don't really love it. That's not really what you want to do. You know what you have to do? You have to learn how to love that thing. You need to see how that thing can benefit you to get closer for what you really love. For example, everybody used that, uh, that uh, the quote of uh, Muhammad Ali of like, I hate every minute of training, mm -hmm. uh, you know? And this, it's pretty much like that if you think about it, you know? Sometimes I remember back in the day that I have to work like in three different academies 
and have like a, this is a space of like a few hours to train MMA. I was training at Black House. I had a motorcycle where we would drive like a crazy to Rio from Tijuca to Recreio de Bandeirantes. You know that the, just to train. And I hated to, to, to work as a personal trainer. But in the same time, I learned how to love it. And I remember to do great as a personal trainer and to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what I wanted, but I remember that was, that was supporting me to keep my dreams alive. So then I started to dedicate myself so much to one point that I was doing so well in personal training and, and that I, I had to pretty much quit because I was taking more of my time than actually Jiu-Jitsu. I started to learn how to actually enjoy that to teach spinning classes and to be like a good fitness instructor. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I want. Let me rebuke myself. Let me get back to the path. And then I kind of like quit that job back in the day, 2001. And, you know, those things are all coming from that same mentality. If you do something, do it with your heart and learn how to love it. You know, that was mom's advice that really worked to today. <laughs> awesome. And what advice would you give to your younger self? when you arrived in Canada, you starting that entrepreneurial journey, starting a new phase of your life, if you could give yourself one advice, what that would be? Don't wait to anybody to do anything for you. Go do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have that feeling of like, uh, that it's not an entitlement, but it's something like, oh man, I'm doing the right thing. People are supposed to support me. People are supposed to come here and say, yeah, man, you're doing great. Let me help you. You know, I wait that too much. Mm-hmm. At some point, I, I just woke up and I'm like, damn, if I don't do it for myself, nobody will. Because it is a personal journey. Even if you're working for the collective, it's like, uh, I'm here and I'm always, I'm always with everybody in mind. But if I don't do things for me, nobody will do it. So if I want something better, I have to go and after and really grab it because it's there for me, you know? And then it's all about you make the right steps and the proper ways, follow the proper principles, and you're going to make it, you know? Don't wait for people. That's awesome. I feel that this is, I don't know, I'm 43 right now. And when we look back, you know, at my journey, I see that there's moments that I did the same thing. You know, and there's moments that I was having my pity party or having the, the victim syndrome. Oh man, no one's helped me in this and that. You know, I have those, and maybe some of the listeners uh, have this before too. But until you take full responsibility, they're like, yo, dude, that's your dream. That's your responsibility. You know what I mean? If someone was, was going to come along the way, great. But, you know, you got to execute on the ideas, you got to lead this bus to your vision. And what, uh, what book would you recommend and why? I would say a book that maybe made you, just made a big impact on you. <clears throat> Major breakthrough. I have like, I can say like, uh, I always say that. It's like, you know, every student, every guy that I see struggling in life here, tell like, well, we'll go read this book because it's simple and actually give you a lot of technique to like to really change your life. For me, a book that I, I helped me even to find God, like my God, the God that I believe is out there out of religion you know and by the way i really do not consider religion a, a, a something uh, that help us out too much i like the a, a institution of of teaching about because i'm christian i think the churches are very important to teach people about god but like your journey with god is personal mm-hmm. and you have to go through and build that uh, relationship but like this book that has so much about your mind it calls like the power 
of your subconscious mind, Dr. Joseph Murphy. This book, it was a real breakthrough in my life because it's pretty much that. It teaches you a lot of like uh, about like full responsibility and teach you that you are capable to do whatever you want. And you need like to build your mind and set your mind for what you wanted to do and what you believe in and, and things that start to become reality. And it's not those things of like uh, write down many times in, oh, I'm going to be champion, I'm going to be champion, I'm going to be champion, or I'm going to build a new business. So guys, understand that. It's not about this. It's about you learn how to take control of you. Mm-hmm. And it starts from the little pieces of like, if you know how to say like, oh, raise your left arm, and then you raise your left arm, it's that simple. Go to, to open a new store. Go to pursue a new career. Go break that relationship. You know, we see, and I'm pretty sure you guys listen now, sometimes are struggling with like a just break with somebody, you know, somebody that's working with you or somebody that's even like your spouse or, or your girlfriend, your boyfriend, somebody that's holding you down and then you don't even know how to go there. It's that simple. Walk through and make it. Because like a, the simple fact of raising your arm is just the same thing of like a going after something. The difference is the obstacles and the consequences in between. And the, the book teaches you a lot about that and how to use the principles to make the decisions. So I really love this book and I recommend to everybody because it's simple and helps a lot. Awesome. So what are you currently excited about? I know they've been promoting more tournaments now. Yeah, I'm excited about the future. I can't wait for 10 years from now. I tell this everybody to, every time to my friends here. 10 years from now, can't wait. But, you know, I'm like uh, living in a great moment. Like uh, here in Canada, we are promoting the next gen. This, uh, it's, it's a project. Mm-hmm. Once I'm being part of the Canadian Association and, uh, and also partnering with uh, IBJJF and UAJJF, helping them to promote their events here. That's my main goal, being part of the Canadian Association, mm-hmm. is to bring better events and, bring, and promote Jiu-Jitsu positively in Canada. So this event is uh, going in, in many different uh, provinces. So we are going and networking with people in the building, small structures. Uh, I will see this growing. We are the first Canadian circuit, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu circuit. Mm-hmm. So we are trying like, to really like uh, in, in year by year, like increase like uh, like the numbers and, and help the athletes more. Like uh, we are planning to create like a, a ranking and help them to go for like a major tournaments of the UHHAF and the IBJJF. So I'm very excited about that. As well, the Jiu-Jitsu for Life Association. Mm-hmm. Today, very small. We are less than two years old. We have about like uh, 20 academies in Canada. We have like uh, seven to eight in the States. We have like uh, six, around six in Brazil. We have one in Europe. So slowly but surely we are working there, like uh, making certifications. Like uh, we build a system of teaching that are really helping a lot of the instructors to multiply the operations and to have more students. I think that's a very important point that a lot of uh, academy owners don't worry too much about is to have like a, a proper program, you know, to like uh, to really serve the people that come to uh, to, to, to make jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And we are providing that to our affiliates and uh, we are trying to help them as much as possible in this area and that uh, we can see the progress. I'm very excited about that because as I told you, it's a long-term relationship, it's a long-term goal. And, uh, you know, I'm very excited about that future. Awesome. Just to let the listeners know, after the interview, I always give my final thoughts, so make sure you stick around. And I just want to leave this time for you to give a message to the listeners, um, how they can find you. And also want to give a shout out to Josh, your partner. I 
he came to Arizona probably, man, I, I, I would have to ask him. It's got to be somewhere around 2002 or something. Three, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. He came with Leo Santos back then. It was a long time ago. So just give a shout out to him. So, uh, yeah, a message and where they can find more about you and your job and, and what you've been developing in, in Canada. So for everybody out there, you know, follow your dreams, have God in your heart. If you don't believe God, whatever you believe it, the power you believe, the positivity you believe, you know, make with love, do everything in your possibility. Uh, because failures will be there, you know, and uh, you will learn from it if you have that idea that, you know, it won't be easy, you mm -hmm. know? So if you're already prepared for the worst, whatever comes like a better than worse, you'll just take as a profit. So enjoy life, you know, like life is really, really fast. So to be spending time, like just doing something that you don't like it, but be smart about your decisions. So to you guys find me, I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram and Facebook. It's just uh, George, uh, J-O-R-G-E-B-R-I-T-T-O, B-J-J, you know, at, you just find me at uh, Instagram, at uh, Twitter and Facebook, but I'm more active on Instagram, uh, Facebook. You can, you guys can find out more about Next Gen, Next Generation BJJ, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Jiu-Jitsu for Life team, uh, Twitter, Facebook too. So we here in Canada, we like, if you were ever in Toronto and you wanted to visit our academy, Toronto BJJ will be here. Like, uh, we love a lot, a lot of people come here because our city has a lot of people coming and going. So we always take visitors here and, uh, we have like a tons of classes. So if you guys wanted to come one day to train with us, feel free. We have classes to everybody and that's it, my friend. So thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate the opportunity. Gustavo. I'm a big fan. I love the project, whatever you need from us here, just let us know. We, you know, we, we love what you do, and uh, I'm pretty sure everybody listening loves you too, brother. So keep it up. It's just, just great to have somebody like you doing this in our community. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy dude to take your time to share with us your, your knowledge. And for all the listeners, just stick around for the final thoughts. Oos. Now, let me share my final thoughts from the interview with you. I hope you're able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview with George. And as I like to mention, I'm going to share with you my takeaway from the interview. And I feel that it's about our relationship with failure during our journey. And failure is not just acceptable. It's okay. Now, it's necessary for growth. Now, the possible issue is how you interpret and respond to this failure. You can respond in a positive and rational way, or you can respond in a negative and irrational way. For those who don't know, I've been teaching in Tempe, Arizona since October of 2000. And GD Jiu-Jitsu is a program that focuses on sport jiu-jitsu competitions, and probably 80% of the students have competed at least once. And during my 18-year journey teaching in Arizona, and I'm recording this in July 2018, I've seen a lot of interesting situations of how people deal with failure. For example, around August of 2004, a new student signed up at the AZ Combat Sports, the MMA gym that I taught for almost 12 years to start training. Let's call him Jack. Jack was in his early 20s, blonde, shaved head, 
at about 185 pounds. On his first day, I asked him, what's your goal? And he said, I want to fight MMA, man. I already know how to stand up. I have a lot of experience from the street. But now I want to get paid to fight. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be fighting for free no more. So now I need to learn the ground stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's what's up. Yes, my friend. Jiu-Jitsu is what is up. Jack saw training around the same time the team was training for the IBJJF American Nationals, which back then was the only tournament in the U.S. besides the Pan Ams. And three weeks before the tournament, Jack had completed close to three weeks of training, and he asked me about competing, and I told him, dude, I'm all about getting experience and everything, but you just started getting to three weeks. You're going to go in the tournament with about five weeks of training and no previous training before. Just wait for the next one, man. And he said, I've been hanging with the guys. I'll be all right. But he really didn't have the awareness to understand that actually people were taking it easy on him. And then a week before the tournament, I find out that he actually signed up for the tournament. And it comes the day of the tournament. Man, I could tell you that Jack took his opponent down with a huge double leg takedown. Put his knee on the belly, mounted, took his back and choked it in 40 seconds. However... That did not happen. <laughs> Matter of fact, it did happen, but it was the other way around. What his opponent did to him, slam him, score 12-0, and choke him. And after the match, I had a very quick interaction with him and still on the fence when he just walked the mat with Jack. And I remember he was wearing his brand new Coral Gi that he bought at the tournament. And I just told him, man, it's a lot harder than it looks. You know, it takes time. Just be patient and so forth. And I wish I could say that he took this failure as a lesson, grew from it, and now he's a black belt with his own successful school. But again, that did not happen. <laughs> you might be curious, where is Jack now? Honestly, I have no idea, dude. I haven't seen the son of a bitch since that day. That dude disappeared, gone, never seen him again, never went back to the school. He didn't answer the phone didn't reply to emails. Remember, this is 2004. There's no Facebook. This dude disappeared. Never seen him again. We'll never know why Jack disappeared. Was he that embarrassed? Because he probably pictured his pure domination. And when this didn't happen and he didn't meet his expectations, he crashed. And here's one thing, dude. Not only Jack, but you and I need to keep one thing in mind. The fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact can be changed. The fact that he chose to compete despite the fact I told him not to do so and the fact that he lost. That is it, Jack. You lost. The fact cannot be changed. Failure is not the problem, but how we choose to interpret and respond to the fact is the problem. And it's up to you 100% up to you to choose how we're going to interpret and respond to the fact. Does Jack have the right to be disappointed with himself? Absolutely. The same way that you have the right to feel happy, excited, and satisfied about something, you have the right to feel disappointed, angry, and pissed off about it. That's, that's your right. Now, if you're going to act on these feelings and respond in a negative and irrational way, that is a completely different ballgame. Jack most likely interpret the fact that it was a huge disappointment and embarrassment. Disappointment because he put his expectations so high, then crashed down hard. 
an embarrassment because they probably thought Gustav and my teammates are going to look down on me. They're going to make fun of me. What are they going to think of me? His response was, I ain't going back there. I'm done. The fact happened. He interpreted the fact in an irrational and negative way instead of interpreting in a rational and positive way. As a result, he responded in the easiest way possible, just not dealing with the failure at all and just quitting. I know this kid that when he was 17, he competed in his very first jiu-jitsu tournament as a blue belt. And he was super excited telling all the friends, family, and everything that he's going to compete. And during his first match, his opponent pulled guard real quick. And in 20 seconds, boom, put him in a triangle. And he tapped. Quick note, his opponent was a white belt and he was a blue belt. So how embarrassed would you feel if you were in a blue belt and you're submitted by a white belt in 20 seconds, right? Since it was a small event, they did some exhibition matches and he competed again. But now this time he went for the full five minutes. But at the end, he lost by points to a yellow belt. How would you feel in this situation? How would you deal with this failure per se? How would you interpret and respond to the fact that you got submitted by a white belt in 20 seconds while being a blue belt, and then you lost your yellow belt in your first tournament? Well, this kid did not interpret and responded to the fact like Jack did. He said, this is embarrassing. This is awful. I saw people doing stuff that I've never seen before. I want to compete again, but I need to find a proper competition school. So he did, started competing, lost a lot, won one small tournament as a blue belt. And today he has a school in Tempe, Arizona, has a podcast called The BJJ Mental Coach. What? <laughs> I could easily have quit it, especially being young and not knowing how to deal with the failure and a lot of uh, quotations, friends making fun of me. And I just kept going. And throughout my career, my 23 years of teaching so far, I've seen so many people drop along the way because they couldn't deal with the failure. But I chose, and that's the key word here, I chose to learn from the failure, which matter of fact, led in a stronger fire inside of me to keep going after even harder. And I also want to make clear to you that I'm not using these examples to try to impress you with my inspirational story, but it's just to convey to you that when you choose to make a rational and positive interpretations in your failures, you will respond in a more constructive and prospering way. And remember, failure is not just acceptable. It's necessary for growth. Embrace the concept that the fact that you failed at something cannot be changed. Only your interpretation and response of this fact can be changed. If you are resenting yourself because you failed or because you made a bad choice in the past, start the process of forgiving yourself now. You did the best you could with what you knew. If you knew better, you'd have done it different, but you didn't know. And you did the best you could with what you knew. But you're in the now, so live in the now. Interpret this fact in a rational and positive way and choose to respond in the same manner. And as the author Charles Given said, use the losses and failures of the past as a reason for action, not inaction. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. 
Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.